Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. There didn't appear to be any motive or any reason why anyone want, would want to hurt her. And um, this this person, this suspect, just escaped basically for, for 50 years. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Nearly five decades ago, in July of 1972, 15-year-old Julie Ann Hansen left her home in Naperville, Illinois, for the last time. 49 years ago, a young girl by the name of Julie Hansen, age 15, borrowed her brother's bike to go to a baseball game. Julie was never seen alive again. The bike was discovered on a gravel road off 87th Street and Knoll Road. Uh, That was the following day after Julie was reported missing. We conducted a search of the area, found her body, and she was deceased and had been stabbed multiple times. Joining us from Minnesota is Danny Spiewak, reporter with CARE 11 in Minneapolis. Danny, this is a case that starts a long time ago when a teenage girl goes missing in Illinois. Take us through what it was that happened. Sure. So thanks, Reed, for having me on here. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll go back to 1972. So this is a case that dates back almost a half century. And uh, we're talking about a suburb of Chicago, Naperville, Illinois, in the western suburbs of Chicago. And there was a 15-year-old girl, Julianne Hansen, um, who uh, went missing and then was found dead, um, stabbed in a cornfield. Um, and the case really just kind of sat there for for almost 50 years. Um, this is a case investigated by the Naperville Police Department and investigators came and went. And, uh, you know, the, the police chief said that they had her picture, only 15 years old, um, was on their desks. And for 50 years almost, they they were really just stumped by this crime. And it was at the time, not sure if it was connected to some other cases in the early 70s where there had been young girls that had been killed. But eventually they found out that wasn't the case. And they actually just recently here um, identified, they believe, uh, they believe they've identified the killer through genealogy and DNA. And they haven't really said a lot about exactly what that entails. They just said that it was this new type of genealogy DNA technology that led them to a 76-year-old man, Barry Lee Welpley, who was living in Minnesota, of all places, in a suburb north of the Twin Cities named Moundsview. And he... Unclear how exactly he got to Minnesota, but apparently he had been a welder who had lived in Naperville, Illinois, uh, in 1972. And they said the DNA and genealogy linked him to this crime. And now it just is picking up the pieces and, and trying to figure out kind of where to go from here as uh, he's been charged with first-degree murder. Hmm. Let's go back to 1972. And, and as you mentioned, this was 49 years ago, and I'm sure that makes it all pretty difficult to try to go back and piece together in detail what happened, what led up to this murder. But is there anything else you've been able to learn as far as Julie's last known whereabouts, who she was with, anything like that? So the only thing we know is that she had apparently on that July day in 1972 had taken her bike and her parents had last seen her on the bike going to her brother's baseball game. And that was it. That was the last time that she was seen um, and much of her family, I don't believe her parents are still alive, but much of her family, um, siblings, uh, 
and other extended family are still still in the Illinois area, um, in the Chicago area, and um, you know just released a statement. They they wanted to keep their privacy, but basically just said that they were so grateful that after all these years that it had been uh, appeared to be solved. Um, but but that's all we know. There 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 weren't a lot of details. I think it was such a mystery at the time. There didn't appear to be any motive or any reason why anyone want, would want to hurt her. And um, this this person, this suspect, just escaped basically for for fifty years. What else can you tell us about the murder itself? What the evidence says about how Julie was killed, and what that might tell us about a possible motive? Well, we know that she was stabbed many times and was left in a cornfield of some sort, not that far from from where she lived. And, and apparently the suspect, Welpley, lived in the area as well. But that's really the big question. And he hasn't really said anything in court. He's had a couple of appearances so far and was extradited from Minnesota to Illinois. So he is now in Illinois. But it is just completely unclear, unclear what the possible motive would be. We only really know that he was a welder and he was in his 20s at the time and he's in his 70s now. Um, but but there's no evidence to suggest either way if we know whether whether he knew her or not or just anything like that is just so unclear. And I think that's what makes this case even more mysterious and baffling for a lot of people because it just uh, the evidence just pointed them to somebody that has been living in Minnesota for many years and, and lived in Illinois at the time without really any answers as to, to why this person did this. And one other important detail we should mention whether or not it, it will ultimately be tied to Welpley is that there was evidence of sexual assault, right? Yes, I believe in the original autopsy. However, that wasn't mentioned um, in, um, it was not mentioned in the the charges, uh, or at least the announcement of the charges by the Naperville Police Department. And I, I don't believe that he is charged with sexual assault. So um, so that is that is a detail that came out first in the 70s, but um, is not something that uh, investigators are necessarily focusing on right now. And again, I know it is a really old case, but have you been able to learn much about Julianne Hansen, who she was from old news articles or, or from investigators talking about the case just recently? Yeah, you know, she was just, uh, you know, a 15-year-old just just living her life and, you know, was living in the Chicago suburb. And, and um, you know, there, there hasn't been a lot about just kind of the, the person she was. And unfortunately, the uh, the family, of course, and for good reason, has, has requested privacy and hasn't wanted to say much. But I can tell you that when we did this original story at CARE 11, uh, you know, I reached out and found some um, some former classmates of, of hers and, 50 years later, this was raw. You know, I, I was Facebook messaging with one woman who said she lived just a couple of doors down from the family and said this was just devastating at the time, as you can imagine. And that really struck me. And I was looking at like the Naperville class, you know, class of whatever whatever graduating class she would have been in from the 70s. Um, and they've really kept in touch over these last 40, 50 years. And there were just post after post of people saying, I remember her. She was such a nice girl. I remember when this happened. I remember how shocking it was. So this is something that never truly went away. And it's something that affected a lot of people who at the time were very young and just teenagers and now are, are in their you know 60s and, and older and um, still something that greatly impacted them. So just carried with them for so long. You know, looking at this case from the outside, it took 49 years for there to be an arrest, it would appear that that the case went cold in the 70s. But as I understand it, the police department that investigated it in Naperville, Illinois, as you mentioned, says that that's not really what happened, that this was never a cold case. Tell me what they had to say about that. 
Yeah, they they said when they announced this that they had never stopped working this case and that it had never just gone cold in a file somewhere in a in a desk drawer and that they had been constantly looking at this because this is a I believe, you know, a fairly high profile case. People often call these type of cases cold cases. This was never a cold case for our police department. We continually investigated this case throughout those 49 years. We were all conscious of Julie's murder, looking for the killer. And we had Julie's picture on our desks and investigations for all these years. And for a long time, as I had mentioned earlier, they believed that it could potentially be connected to these other cases. And I went back into some of the newspaper archives in, in the Chicago area and found that there were two other killings that were somewhat similar or involved a similar demographic, uh, same age group in, in, in both girls. Um, and there were really three of them in a, in a span of just years in the 70s. In 1972, 73, and 78, Julianne Hansen, uh, Roberta Anderson, and Margaret Stern. So I think for a long time, I think they were fixated on, well, it must be connected to this because why, why wouldn't it be? In 1992, when I was elected state attorney in Will County, we were able to charge Major Morris with Roberta Anderson's murder. And he was convicted. And then we subsequently were able to convict him of killing Margaret Stern. And he's doing a 100-plus year sentence under the old sentencing uh, format. But m- many people in, in law enforcement felt that he was the one that killed Julianne Hansen, but not these guys. But then I think when the, the DNA and the genealogy came out here, and that's obviously been around for a while now, but it takes some time. They have other priorities and I think, you know, and they, they won't say because they don't want to jeopardize the investigation, but once they were able to sort of piece that together, a lot of times in these cases, you know, because we've covered other ones involving DNA and genealogy, you know, they'll get a hit on a relative in one of those banks where somebody uploads their, you know, DNA to find their genealogy and ancestry. And that'll lead right. them to somebody that's not even in the database. And I would assume that something like that happened in this case. But but yeah, as you mentioned, it was something that was constantly worked on, but not until that evolution of the new technology could it kind of point them in a new direction. Tremendous advancements in the DNA testing and genealogy and the tedious efforts of the current group of our investigators that are with me on this uh, podium today have resulted in an arrest being made in this case. The individual is in custody and charges have been filed. They also mentioned that there had been other suspects over the years. Did they offer any insight into who those suspects were, or if not, if Barry Lee Welpley had come up in their investigation before they turned to DNA and genetic genealogy. They didn't say a lot about other suspects, and they didn't really say much about the suspect here, Welpley, either, which is very interesting. And I can tell you that uh, you know, they basically just said that the DNA led them to him, and he's been living in Moundsview, Minnesota. So we actually we went up to his neighborhood here uh, about a week and a half ago, and just talked to his neighbors and, you know, his, his last name was still on the mailbox. He was living in a quiet residential suburban area. And I, I, you know, talked to some neighbors and they were just like, they just like, couldn't believe it. I mean, he'd lived there for a long time. They knew his family. Um, they just couldn't wrap their heads around this, that he had been living this quiet life in Minnesota. And all of a sudden they said like, you know, 10 police cars from various agencies, including some from out of state, uh, you know, we're, we're all of a sudden knocking down the door here in this, you know, quiet neighborhood in Moundsview, Minnesota. Um, and, and we didn't learn a ton about this, this person, Welpley, but, but we know he, you know, he had just recently retired from being a welder, which is what he did at the time of the alleged crime and, uh, had a family here. And, 
and had just been living in Minnesota for many, many years. And um, and now the the DNA, the, the police have, have tied him to this murder. And we know that if he did indeed do this, then then he got away with it for 49 years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that the, the, the that's why the family, when they released their statement to the media, they were just so grateful that the case had, had not, you know, no one had lost sight of it because it would be easy after 49 years to just sort of say, well, I, I guess this one's over. Um, but that family had never stopped. And there's still a lot of relatives around that uh, were waiting for this day. And of course, you're up in Minnesota where Welpley was taken into custody. I assume he's likely to be extradited to Illinois if that hasn't happened already. I believe it is my understanding based on other uh, reporting from other outlets in the Illinois area that I believe he is in Illinois now. And I want to end by by bringing this back to Julie and the Hansen family. You mentioned that statement that they released following the arrest. Tell me what else they had to say about getting this sort of closure, if we can call it that, 49 years after Julie's life was taken. They just said they were forever grateful and that they they really wanted to credit, um, you know, not just the investigators, but also everyone who had been with them by their side. And they they called them Team Julie was the name of the kind of the, the way they were they the way they were describing, um, you know, the people that had supported them all along. And, and I can't imagine it could not have been an easy time. And I'm sure this is something that has stayed raw for 49 years. But but they just said they wanted to credit Team Julie for for never giving up and always being by their side and never giving up hope. And this was a day that they had hoped they would always see. And they, they know that it won't bring her back, but at least gives them some answers here as to something that happened so long ago. Danny Spiewak with Kara Levin in Minneapolis. Thanks for coming on to share this story. Thank you, Reed. Really appreciate it. Thanks to you for tuning in to this episode of The Daily Crime. We hope you'll join us next time. We're here five days a week, Monday through Friday. The best way to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes is to hit subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you use. If you're still looking for more true crime after that, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.